Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your goodness to us. And we ask now that you would guide and direct our time as we examine your word, strengthen us, and encourage us in it. In your name we pray. Amen. And you may be seated. And uh, what we're doing now is putting the pieces together. And uh, we're just covering a few things that aren't necessarily uh, actually outlined in the book of Revelation. Yet, they fit into the outline, the overall scope and sequence of the book. And I want us to turn to the book of 2 Thessalonians. Now, for most people, the book of Thessalonians is one of those things. Now, how did you say that? Uh, It's just one of those titles that's hard to pronounce. But in Thessalonica, uh, I think the Greek is Thessaloniki is pretty close uh, for an American tongue anyway. But uh, in that city, there was a church that was started as Paul and Barnabas were on their first journey. And uh, uh, no, actually it was Paul and Silas, I'm sorry. And uh, this church had a lot of persecution. Uh, This church had a lot of things uh, that Paul and Silas were only able to be there just a very few weeks. And then Paul wrote some letters. And, and these two little books probably deal more with end-time things than any of the other epistles. And uh, it wouldn't hurt if we just were to take the next couple of months and go through both First and Second Thessalonians but then again, when, if we chase every little part to its fullest, we would never finish our series, and we do want, I do want us to do that. But last week, we talked about the eminent or any moment return of Christ, and we went through the scriptures where Jesus explained this doctrine And we are told our goal as a church, as the servants of Christ, is to watch. Now, if Jesus were coming after the tribulation started, during the middle of the tribulation, at the end of the tribulation, uh, we would have a system that has been given to us by the scriptures to count the number of days and know exactly when the Lord is returning. Jesus said, no man can know that, not even the Son. Therefore, we talk about the eminent return. Paul said, we expect the return of Christ. And here, what we are going to deal with in in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 is, yes, it is connected to this, but there is a restraining force in this world. Have you ever wondered why every day isn't 9-11? Now, let me ask you, are there people in the world that would love for that to be? Uh, They're there. Uh, The world is full of crazy people who want nothing more. I mean, just study what's going on in Libya. A Coptic Christian who cheats on his bank accounts, makes a movie, and it's death to America. Now, I don't understand that. They're offended because of that video. I'm offended at the murder of Americans. Maybe we ought to um, return the favor, but uh, in Christian love, of course. But... uh, The truth of the matter is, there will be no end to this conflict until there is a vanquished enemy. And we need to pray for our government because right now they have no intentions of ever defeating the enemy. That is one of our problems that we fight today. Now, the other problem that we have to be very careful of is, I love my country. I do. You don't have to be around here long. I remember one time many years ago, a guy came in and we had an American flag right here under here. It was right after 9-11. He said, why is that flag there? 
He was upset about it. And I said, it's there because we want to remind people to pray for our troops. And uh, I don't think it should be there. And I said, you know, you got a problem with America. He says, yeah, I do. I said, I got a problem with people who come here and have a problem with America. That's my problem. And uh, if you're going to come here, be a part. Amen? Pray. Because their safety is your safety. And uh, we, we've got a lot of things happening in this world. But let me tell you something. There is a force restraining the hand of evil. There are hindrances to the working of the devil. One of those hindrances is the presence of the church of Jesus Christ. Not Latter-day Saints. Not to be confused. I was looking for a church for someone in Florida, and all of a sudden this ad comes up. It has the church name, uh, uh, something Baptist Church somewhere in Florida. I can't remember all the details. But underneath of it says, Mormons believe the Bible too. Would you like to understand? It was an ad by uh, the Mormon church on Google Maps. I'm going to stop using Google Maps. But let me tell you something. They're taking advantage of a Mormon candidate to get their religion out there. But have you ever wondered why people don't just flock to other churches? It's because of this restraining work of the Holy Spirit of God. And that is primarily present in His churches. How many of you have been to another part of the country where there's a Baptist church on every corner? Now, the only problem is there's usually a Baptist church on this end of the corner and then there's a bar on this end of the corner. and some. Uh, but things are different in towns where there is a great Bible influence. It's just... How many of you know what I'm talking about? Okay, so the rest of you, if you have any questions, ask those people who had their hands up, right? They'll explain the pastor's not just going off in woodoo land here. Um, but when we had our services early on, there were times when we would have almost as many unsaved people sitting in the auditorium as saved people. And it hindered the service. I remember talking to Brother Clayton saying, Brother Clayton, you just preached your heart out, but it felt dead tonight. He said, the problem is you didn't have enough Christians here to overcome what else was going on. And uh, we need to pray about that. Amen. There are our battle. Go to Ephesians chapter 6. We don't war against physical things. Aren't you glad we don't need to get a gun to serve the Lord? Our warfare is against spiritual wickedness in high places. It's against principalities. It's against powers. Now, I want you to read with me here. First, Second Thessalonians, I'm sorry, Second Thessalonians chapter 2. Now, we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto Him. Now, let me ask you, uh, does that set the context for you? Uh, does that tell you what this passage is about? It says here that I am begging you, I am beseeching you by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto Him. This is a church verse. It's to a local church. It's about what the church is supposed to be about. And verse 2 says that ye be not soon shaken in mind, or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word. Now look at this last phrase. Nor by letter as from us, that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, 
the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he, as God, sitting in the temple of God, showeth himself, showing himself that he is God. Now, if you wonder why I make the statement, Antichrist is going to be a good person, this is why. If Bill Clinton broke into the temple of God that will be rebuilt in Jerusalem and sat in the Holy of Holies, what would be your response? Bill Clinton? You gotta be kidding! Isn't that true? I mean, if... uh, May I say this? If our present uh, occupant of the Oval Office were to break into the temple of God in Jerusalem and sit upon the Holy of Holies and say that he is God, would you believe him? Uh, Would anybody believe him? Well, there might be a few out there, but uh, the simple truth is this guy's going to pull it off. When he sets on the mercy seat in the rebuilt temple in Jerusalem, people are going to believe that he has a right to sit there. That's what the Bible says. That's why we call him the Antichrist. Not because he's going to get up and say, there is no Christ, God is dead, all of this kind of garbage. He's going to say, I am Christ. Could I tell you there's no greater blasphemy than that? And the greatest problem is people are going to believe him. To the point to where they take his mark and they worship him. These things are in the scriptures. We've studied these things in the past. And so as we read this, look what it says here. Verse 5. Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things. And now ye know what withholdeth, that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. That's Armageddon. When with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned, who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. Whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which ye have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, which hath loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts. Establish you in every good work. Now, this is one of those pivotal passages. You misunderstand this passage. And let me tell you something you will misunderstand an awful lot. You get something wrong here. It's going to have ramifications all the way through the prophetic, your prophetic understanding of what has yet to happen. This passage teaches us very clearly 
that the man of sin cannot be revealed until that restraining force, the Holy Spirit of God, he that withholdeth, he that letteth, is taken out. Now, if you are a student of your Bible, what did David pray in Psalm 51? He said, Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Now, why would David, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, pray a prayer like that? How many of you remember what happened to King Saul? Huh? What happened to King Saul? The Holy Spirit departed from Saul and an evil spirit came in his place. But what did Jesus tell his church? I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. He said, we're going to dwell in you. How many of you have ever experienced the restraining work of the Holy Spirit just by walking into a room? I mean, it happens. Sometimes you have to have a little bit of uh, but I, uh, of uh, the people know uh, if there's, I can't, uh, let me start over again. Get the tongue in neutral here and get it into gear properly. But there have been many occasions where people know I'm a preacher and I'll walk in, oh, I'm sorry, I can't talk like that to preachers here. Now, it's not just because of the preacher. It's because of the Holy Spirit of God. God wants to use the presence of his people in this world to restrain others. How many of you remember the command to wives that have unsaved husbands? That your husband may be won by the chaste conversation of the wife. Now, the Protestants have tried to make that, well, if you get your children baptized, they can still be in the covenant line. I don't know how they got that out of there, but they they try Uh, The simple truth of the matter is, if you are a saved person married to an unsaved person, your honest and simple love for the Lord is going to restrain that person who's living in the same home. Not always and not in every way, but it does have an effect on them. And that's a good thing. It doesn't solve all the problems. And by the way, don't ever allow that to be an excuse to date or talk to or even think about marrying an unsafe person. You, you need to be in the Word of God. But if through no fault of your own you got saved later in life, God will use your salvation to minister. This is just an illustration of this letting, this withholding of wickedness. Could you imagine what it would be like if there was not one Bible preaching church in New York City? Let me tell you, you couldn't imagine what it would be like. In fact, many of the true stories of our quote-unquote wild west frontier in the mid and late 1800s was simply that way because there was no gospel witness. And when the preacher showed up and when the church showed up, you know what? Things started changing because there was an influence there that hadn't been there before. Now, the Bible says that that influence is going to be removed. So I want to just ask you a simple question. Could our church be a church 
if the influence of the Holy Spirit were removed from it? No. That is a promise of God to His church. And so as we look at this, let's go back and see there's a, a, a difficult verse here in verse 3. And by the way, let's just touch on verses 1 and 2. Why would they be shaken in mind and be troubled that Jesus had already come and the day of the Lord was already happening if they weren't expecting Jesus to return and take the church out before all of these things happened? Are we together? If someone wrote a letter, which it says in verse uh, 3, I'm sorry, uh, verse 2, someone wrote a letter, signed Paul's name, a forgery, and said the day of the Lord is at hand, and this was troubling people in the Thessalonian church, and it was causing them to stumble in their faith. Now, why would it cause them to stumble in their faith if they had no understanding in the any moment return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul says there's some things that have to happen. There has to be a falling away first. Now normally when we see those words falling away, what do we think of? Falling back into sin. Um, Could I give you a little different understanding possibly? Uh, What about a rapture? Would that be a falling away of the earth, from the earth, as we meet the Lord in the air? Uh, I'm not saying that's the only understanding of this passage. But I do believe that we could put that in there because the man of sin cannot be revealed until the Holy Spirit is taken out of the way. The Holy Spirit's place of ministry is where? Through the local church. There is a connection. Now, don't misunderstand me. You have the Holy Spirit living in you at the moment of salvation, whether you've been baptized in water, whether you are a member of a church, or any of that. That is non-topical. But... If you want to have the influence of the Holy Spirit through your life, what must you do? Obey the Word of God. That's going to take you to the waters of the baptismal of a good Bible-believing and should be named Baptist Church. And it's going to cause you to serve the Lord through that church. That's how your influence works in the world. There is nothing more you can do. Sometimes we just say, well... Pastor, I'm trying to serve the Lord and I'm trying to do more and there sometimes there just doesn't seem to be more to do. Well, just wait. There'll be more. God will give you something. But how many times through the Scriptures did God make people wait before He gave them something to do? You know, there is no shortcut to growing up. And there are certain things in your relationship with Christ that only time expended will answer. That's why we're commanded to watch. That's why we're commanded to be ready, to be prepared. And uh, just a note along those lines, you don't know how many times I have thought, boy, I wish we could do this, but I don't have anybody do it. You see, you might be eager about something else. And because you're all eager about that thing, we can't get this thing over here done. We've got to be patient one with another and work together. And all of a sudden, we're going to find some incredible things. Our church is on the verge of making a jump. And really moving forward in many areas. But what do we have to do? We have to grow up. How many of you ever had growing pains? 
It's okay. They just happen. Trust the Lord and we'll get through this. This is the influence of the Holy Spirit. He is the one that is going to mold us and shape us. The man of sin is revealed. Now, it describes him. It calls him the man of sin, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he, as God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Now, if that is not a description of Antichrist, uh, I, I don't know what you would consider a description of the Antichrist. Because he is, all, the Bible tells us in the book of Revelation, all people are given into his hand. Is that not the attribute of God? The universal control, the, the universal authority. He is going to oppose anything and everything except himself. And he is going to pawn himself off upon this world as if he were God. This is the man whom Jesus spoke of and said, if it were possible, he would deceive the very elect. That's how good an imitation he is going to be. And so we have to have the work. Now, verse 7 says, The mystery of iniquity doth already work. How many people have wanted to be the Antichrist through history? I mean, let's... How about Alexander the Great? Uh, how about uh, Caesar uh, and various of the Caesars and Nero and and uh, let's uh, not forget uh, oh what was the name Suleiman the great Turkish uh, general he wanted to control the world uh, let me tell you the Tsars how many people know what Tsar it's Russian for Caesar he wanted to rule the world and thought that he did only to find out that he didn't. Well, what about Napoleon? How about Adolf Hitler? All of these men desired this very thing. In fact, it was Adolf Hitler, and just before the tide turned in the war, that began work on a state religion that actually worshipped him as God. He was preparing to have this happen. You wonder why he said the Third Reich is going to last a thousand years? I wonder where he got that idea from. You know, the devil always steals ideas from God. Praise God from that statement, I believe the historian said the Reich did not last a thousand days from the day he made that statement. Uh, and we are all grateful uh, we got men like I'm in a jihad who is trying to bring in the last imam who's going to be the Antichrist, I believe. We live in the last days, my friend. But what kept all of these people from realizing this power? He that letteth the influence of the Holy Spirit. Now, we get to Revelation chapter 13. And I, I want us just to pick up this verse very quickly here. Turn with me, if you will. You, you need to read this verse in order to make a connection here. Revelation chapter 13 and verse 7 we are talking about the Antichrist. The Bible calls him the beast here. In verse 7 of chapter 13, And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to what? Overcome them. Now, wait a minute. If you go to Daniel 
chapter 7 and verse 25, it says, He will wear out the saints of God. That is a contradiction of I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That is a direct contradiction. Because if the Antichrist is going to overcome the saints and the church were present, he would then have power to prevail against the church. Are we still together? So we have to find a resolution in this apparent conflict there. And the simplest resolution is our understanding that the church will not be present because of the restraining force being removed. Because the Antichrist will have power. He will dominate this world. Uh, they made this set of movies. Um, oh, I can't even remember. Uh, Jack Van Impey, who should know better. Uh, oh, does anybody remember the title? There was a whole series of them. Huh? Yeah, the one with Kirk Cameron and Pierce Bronson and all. Left Behind, that's it. I knew we had to have some backslidden. No, I'm sorry. If you watch those things, I'm just teasing. If you watch those things, they're pawned off as an understanding of what may be in the end times. I want you to understand. I, I saw one of them, and, and we just laughed the whole way through because the star looked just like Bob Mack. And that's all we could think of. It's Bob Mack doing all these crazy things, and it was just so hilarious that we couldn't even concentrate on the storyline, which was ridiculous, by the way. There's not going to be a nice set of folded clothes in your coffin when you go up to heaven. Uh, whoever got that was doing something under the influence of something the Bible said you ought not be under the influence of. That's all I have to say. It may be good entertainment, but please don't, don't allow that to influence your understanding of the Bible. Those things are so bizarre. You're not, there are, is not going to be people sticking their finger in the eye of the beast. They're not going to be messing up his computer system. They're not going to be targeting nuclear weapons against him and doing all these bizarre, zany things. They're going to be falling at his feet and worshiping him. And if the church is somehow mixed into this, I mean, there are people who believe the church is going through the tribulation. Seventh-day Adventists do. They're selling many of their inner city properties right now and uh, moving out to the country and buying farms. And, and they had better, because if they believe what they believe, they're going to be here during tribulation. Not because the church is going through the tribulation, but because they're unsaved. But what's going to happen when the Antichrist shows up? Is they're going to be given the strong delusion that is here. You see, the makers of all these end-time movies... They have a problem with one thing. None of them can say definitively that if you've rejected the gospel before the rapture that you will believe the lie. Because that would be offensive. But it is very simple that God has drawn a line here. Look what it says here. In, let's go back to Second Thessalonians chapter two. It says in verse ten, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved, and for this cause God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they 
all might be damned who believed not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. If you want urgency to give the gospel to people, here is where you ought to get it from. We do not know when the Lord is coming back. But those that have rejected the gospel and have chosen to live in their sin and in their life at their pleasure, when Antichrist shows up, they're going to believe that he is the Jesus of the Bible. That's why you and I need to be faithful in our witnessing. You want to watch for your Lord coming? Be faithful in your witnessing. Now, that doesn't mean that you walk around with a Bible under one arm and a little megaphone, you're going to hell, you're going to hell, or something like that. You need to pray that you will take advantage of the opportunities that God gives you. Ask Him to open your eyes. Ask Him to give you words to say. And we had a group of guys, and I had four or five of the kids. Dad, there's a whole group of bums out on the steps. And what it was, was uh, they weren't bums, number one. They just looked like it. One guy had his shirt off, showing off his tattoos. Another was smoking and just doing all kinds. They were a tree-cutting service. And they blocked the street off. And I mean, it was just really bad. And, and so... Uh, you know, after about third or fourth of the kids coming, Daddy, Daddy, uh, I grabbed a handful of tracks and went out there and said, can I give you guys something to read from the church? And one guy said, hey, I got a question. I've been reading the Bible. Are we in the tribulation period? I said, where else could you get this from? And And I just simply said, listen, We've been doing this for the last 14 months, verse by verse, through the book of Revelation. you got to come on Thursday night. Didn't come. But they got a track. And they got what witness I could give to the love of God in the few minutes that we had there. That's all you do. It is God that does the saving, not you. If the Holy Spirit does not convict them of sin, are you? And if you do, will it be of God? I met a fellow one time. He said, well, I pray for Holy Spirit conviction every time I witness. And God answers my prayer every time. What I wanted to do is go, could I shake your hand? If it weren't dealing if it weren't dealing with eternal souls, it would be funny. Let me tell you something. The Holy Spirit does the work. We got to make sure that we're clean vessels to carry the Spirit of God. That means that's watching for our Savior to come. Amen. This is how these things work. And I had a whole other section prepared here. You see, let's go back to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and we'll just wrap this thing up tonight. I love that little conjunction. You have to be careful how you say this, but people will misunderstand you. But God puts that conjunction, but, in many immensely important places in the Bible. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God. It's connected, but we're changing directions. Now, we come down here. There's another one of these wonderful conjunctions right here in verse 13. That they Look at verse 12. That they all might be damned who believed not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren. Do you get that? 
Paul's saying, listen, you guys got shook up because somebody wrote you a letter saying Jesus already came and you missed it. Listen, don't let your mind be troubled. It's not going to happen until there's a falling away first. You see, people get the idea that this falling away has to be a negative thing because they go to the letters of the churches and the last letter to the last church is the lukewarm church that Jesus will spew out of his mouth and said, see there, we're in the lukewarm church age. Well, can I ask you a question? Were there lukewarm churches in the first century? Uh, yeah. In fact, Brother Gary preached an excellent message Sunday night about that very thing, that the church was not doing what it was supposed to be doing, so God had to mix things up a little bit. Make things a little miserable so they get back to doing what they're supposed to be doing. Listen, there are all kinds of churches in all kinds of times. What we need to understand is God has called us. He has chosen us. Have you ever wondered why God chose you to be saved? How many of you come from unsaved families? How did God choose you? The only answer I can give you is because he knew you would accept. Why does not God choose others? Because he knows what's going on in their hearts. We don't believe in a God that demands souls he created in his image go to hell. But if you refuse what he has done for you, what other options does he have? But Paul was writing to the church at Thessalonica. He said, God has chosen you. He picked you. Peter said, you've lived in the past, you've lived enough time in the past to serve yourself and the devil. Let's serve God with the life that we now have. Amen. And so God has chosen us in verse 13. Verse 14, whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't just save you to give you a ticket on the train to heaven. He saved you to glorify Him. How are you going to glorify Jesus? Well, you've got to be more like Him. How many of you would raise your hand with your pastor and say, i got a long ways to go to be more like Jesus? Well, that's how you start. Is that humble spirit realizing that it was he that did the choosing. It was he that did the calling. And we go through the rest of these verses to the end, and it tells us how we ought to be behaving. And verse 17 says, Comfort your hearts and establish you in every good work. Well, who's going to comfort us? Oh, the, the same one that chose you. The same one that called you. That's where the comfort comes. So oftentimes we look for comfort and encouragement in this life in what we accomplish. You ever done that? And sometimes the things that are done are good things. How many of you have ever had the privilege of leading someone to Christ? I mean, doesn't that just feel good all the way through? But your comfort doesn't come from the fact that you led that person. Your comfort ought to come from the fact that God was able to use you. You were the tool that he chose out of the drawer that day. Do you see the difference? It's kind of a fine line, but I want you to understand something. We've got to get something if we're going to understand Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. It is all about God. It is not about you. And one of the reasons I believe that God puts some of these tricky little things, Brother Lucas and I were talking about this very subject in the, the New Jerusalem and, 
And he said, well, yeah, the new Jerusalem. And I said, well, what about this passage? And what about that one? I said, there's just a little question in my mind. He's going, yeah, there is a little question. I said, we have to just leave that for the Lord. I mean, the time frame says the new Jerusalem comes after the kingdom. I mean, that's if we the simplest reading, and that's where I'm going to go. But I don't understand why the nations will need to be healed after it's all done. So I'm going to trust the Lord with that one. Will you do that with me? That's my recommendation there. There are things that we don't need to know, because if you knew everything, what would happen to you? You'd become proud. God wants to keep us humble. Let me tell you, every time you ever feel that you're really getting things together, get ready to pick your face up out of a mud puddle. I mean, God is going to put you down. He's got to. But if you will examine yourself and be ready, God will keep you chosen, called, and comforted. Those are Bible words. Something that we need every day. Amen? And in essence, what Paul is telling this church is, don't you worry when Jesus is coming. Because that falling away has got to happen first. And, and I really believe that the rapture fits better there than anything else that we could put there. Because he doesn't explain it. In fact, he doesn't mention that you're going to be here after. He just says, after that falling away, then the son of perdition can be revealed. And so, if we connect the falling away with the removing of the hindrance of the Holy Spirit of God, it is starting to put a time frame on these events. It is forcing us into an understanding that is not perfect. but is going to lead us in a direction based upon a consistent and simple understanding of the words of God. Now, we can't answer every question, but the any moment return of the Lord, the imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ, forces us to look upwards which echoes Christ's own words, watch. The restraining force of the Holy Spirit in the world in which we live forces us to do one thing. Rest in Jesus. Amen? You put on the armor of God. Why? So you can swing the sword of the Spirit and slay the... No. That's for the movies, my friend. God has never called you to sling the sword of the Spirit and slay anybody. He's told you to use that sword of the Spirit, praying always with all prayer and supplication. I love that quartet song that the Heartland group sang, Glory Bound. I'm fighting the battle on my knees. That's... That's where we got to be. Total reliance on the Holy Spirit of God. Amen? And you want to influence. I can just share one quick testimony. When we first moved to the city, this is back in October of 1991. Sarah was a baby and Peter wasn't much more than that. And we were living out in Staten Island and I couldn't even find the post office. And I'm sitting here watching all these people zip around and I'm going, I don't even know how to find the post office, Lord. How in the world do you expect me to start church? And I really struggled with that. Until I understood something. It wasn't me that was starting the church. He said, I will build my church. 
There is no greater influence that you can have in this world than to serve the Lord Jesus Christ through His church. When I finally understood that, I could handle ten people on Sunday morning and rejoice. I'll tell you, there was a time when we were rejoicing at 10 people. And then 20 and 30 and 40. and But you know what? I, I'm really rejoicing that that's in the past. I mean, when we first moved into this building, this right now, what you see would have been a fantastic Sunday morning crowd. But... I'll tell you what, if we had these side sections open, there'd be people sitting in them. Not because it's so crowded in the center, but Baptists just have to have elbow room. I mean, that's just the way we are. But uh, listen, be faithful. He chose you, not because of how great you are, but he wants to show how great he is. So what does that say about you? Not much. He's called you. That means he's got your number. He knows who you are. He's got work for you to do. And he's going to comfort your hearts if you'll just stay under his care. I love that, that those verses. Amen? Let's serve him till he comes. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight. And Lord, we ask you to minister your word to us and help us as we put together these pieces of our little understanding. We ask that you would guide and direct us, that we would not become prey to men and their understandings, but that we would be obedient to you and your word. Help us to watch. Help us to remember that we are chosen, called, and comforted. If we're not feeling that comfort, it's our problem, not yours. If we're not obeying that calling, it's ours, not yours. Lord, work that we may bring glory to your name. That we may be the maximum influence that you would have us to be in these last days. In Jesus' name we pray. And before we finish that prayer, we'll just have the piano play. If you need to slip out and talk to the Lord about something.